The Mac Observer's Mac Geek Gab number 345, 345, for August 1st, 2011. That's really funny. You know, last show we had a problem with this, and now it just nice, won't play. Nice, nice. Oh, I didn't say more. Observers Mac Geek Up, the show where you ask questions, you send in tips, we provide answers, we provide tips. Sometimes we even share a tale of woe here from Durham, New Hampshire, United States. Third stone from the sun. I'm Dave Hamilton. I gather you're not gonna redo that one. No, we're not we're gonna keep going with it. We gotta roll. We gotta roll. We're gonna keep going with it. And here in Fairfield, Connecticut. Um, stormy, uh, or it was five minutes ago. Uh, John F. Brown. Yeah, no, we uh, we fudged the intro on the last show, and we fudged it on this show. What's interesting is is usually I just press the little play icon, and the uh, intro goes, and it did not this time. I had to right click on it. So I don't know what that's going to mean when we try to play our first audio comment, but we're going to go ahead and roll with it and uh, and see what happens. Worse. But I'm not alone here, John. Next no, to me I'm here in another part of Durham, New Hampshire, <laughs> is Pilot Pete. Uh, Welcome back, Pete. Thanks, guys. It's good to yeah, have it's been you here, a long man. Time. Yeah. yeah. So sometimes you get the music right on the intro to this show. Huh? Sometimes. Yeah. 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 You wouldn't know it if you just started listening, but uh, but those would be the first two times that you've ever heard it wrong, folks, is the, the last two times. Yeah. So with us, it's always like the first. No, never mind. Uh, we better find Tim here to uh, to help us get out of this. And so Tim writes in in response to the listener who had a problem where the keyboard and mouse would uh, freeze and not work. Tim says, I ran into a similar issue, but had no USB errors or any errors at all in my logs Curs- occurred uh, with my aluminum mini and aluminum MacBook, both running 10.6.8. He SSH into the machines and killed the dock process. Uh, local interactivity was instantly back as soon as the doc came back or back around with a gap of roughly 20 minutes in the log before the time uh, from the time prior to him kicking off the dock over. That's very interesting. So uh, so uh-huh. killing the dock, if you can SSH into your machine and that's it, it's a relatively easy thing. You just type SSH from the command line space and then the uh, name of or the IP address of the machine. Of course, you have to do this from another computer. Uh, and that will log you into that machine with the same username. You'll have to type your password, but uh, but it will let you in. So handy, but very interesting. So thanks for sharing that, Tim. I'm not sure exactly why that would happen, but uh, but it does. Any thoughts on that, John? Or are we moving on to to the next tip from Bob? No, I know. I know we had uh, the 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 other problem. I had same sort of thing. You killed the dock with the uh, the iCal uh, date being wrong, which yep. I'm looking on my mini, and it's it's wrong. It says it's the thirty first. So, uh. well, Bob has another interesting keyboard thing. He says I was unable to use the hold down the option key on boot to select the alternative boot devices on my late two thousand nine iMac with a wireless Bluetooth keyboard. Says I contacted AppleCare and was advised that indeed this would not work on a wireless keyboard since AppleCare said Bluetooth was not active at that stage of the boot process. They were wrong. I held the option key down as soon as the boot process began, and that was my mistake. The hot tip is wait until after the gong and before the pinwheel. 
that's when you hold down the option key and it works just fine. So that's excellent advice for that anybody. Good. Yep. I would have never thought of thought of thought Apple Care would have said, "Hey, you know, it ain't working," and I'd have taken their word for it. Yeah, especially since evidence kind of yeah. backed up their word. Yeah, yeah that's uh, I, I'm impressed, Tim. That, or, I'm sorry, I'm impressed, Bob. But I'm impressed with both of you actually yeah. <laughs> for coming up with both of those from coming up with those answers. Um, you know, I, I uh, we talked about this before, but I found a better way. So you know, if you uh, go into print something uh, and there's the little PDF menu and I'm pulling this up and hopefully not screwing everything up. If you go to the little PDF menu from the print drop down, uh, you have, I'm oh, sorry. Uh, no, not printing. Sorry. Uh, in preview with a PDF open, uh, you have the ability to uh, let's see. I'm going to, I'm going to walk through this and do it the right way. Cause I want to get this right. So if you in preview choose save as, uh, with a PDF, you have the quartz filter option at the bottom uh, and you can choose. There's a, I think eight things by default yeah, listed yeah. there. Okay. Yeah, look at that. Right. So one of those things is reduce file size. Uh, the, and it does, it'll take a 30 megabyte PDF and scrunch it down to like 150 K. The problem is most of the time that's way too much and it kills any images that you have in there. Uh, to a point where they're almost illegible, right? So uh, here's the interesting thing. You can create your own profile. If you go into the color sync utility, uh, which is in your applications utilities folder, or you can just find it with spotlight, launch color sync utility, go to the filters uh, tab or button, and you will see those same eight filters. Well, if you find the reduce file size one, and uh, I think you uh, hit the little drop down arrow next to it and say duplicate filter. It will make a duplicate of this. Uh, it'll be called reduce file size copy and you can name it whatever you want. So uh, here's the thing. Twist open that little filter and take a look at uh, image sampling and image compression, which are the only two things listed there. So for image sampling, here's the problem it's automatically scaling every image down 50%. Uh, and it's going too far because it's also setting a maximum pixel width uh, or height of 512 pixels uh, for some images that are baked into PDFs. That's way too little. So uh, what I do is I set it to, I don't know, maybe 75% of a scale and set that number up, set it to about 1500 pixels uh, as the, your maximum and leave the quality as high. And then under image compression, move the quality. Yeah, you can go over to max, but, you know, maybe go to somewhere between the middle and max. And uh, and that will create a new filter that actually creates decent looking PDFs. I had scanned some stuff I had to send to my insurance agent last week. And I used this reduced file size thing and it was illegible, you know, but it, I also didn't want to send him a 30 megabyte, eight page PDF. And so I did this and did all the changes I just described to you here. And, and then it was like, I don't know, a meg and a half. So perfect to email to him. He got it. He sent it off to the insurance company. Everything was, was hunky dory. So that's our, uh, that's our little tip of the day. Nice. From that. Yeah. Yeah. I don't, I, I don't know why, uh, you know, somebody at Apple just, years ago probably picked these parameters and said yep it reduces the file size all right <laughs> next you know it it performs its function but not necessarily in the way that uh, that we as as picky mac users like right john speaking of uh of picky mac users th here's something cool uh 
What, what are you trying to say? I don't know where I'm going with, with this in particular. I want to talk about our, be first, careful, our first sponsor. Uh, one of my favorite apps to use is BB edit. Okay. You've heard, you've heard me say that before. I use it all the time to edit text and, and manipulate things. Well, here's the thing. BB edit 10 just came out. You can find out all about it at barebones.com. I'm going to tell you a couple things. Now, the most important thing and listen here, you get a 30 day free trial. Like you always have with BB edit, but the price has changed dramatically. The normal suggested retail price of BB edit 10 is now just 50 bucks, 49 99. However, up until October 20th, there is an introductory price that takes 10 bucks off of that. So for 39 99, you can get a full fledged copy of BB edit 10. Uh, you can go get the, you know, the 30 day trial. And I encourage you to do that, but please, if you don't do anything, but between now and October, it's such a deal for this software. It's awesome. Uh, BB edits a text editor. Uh, I use it all the time to edit little bits of code. It'll edit. Look, you can go crazy and edit, you know, C plus plus code with it. You can edit objective C with it. You can edit HTML with it. I use it to edit PHP. Sometimes even little editing projects are great with this because it color codes all of your, uh, even just HTML code that you pull in here It all color codes. It, it'll lay it out in a way that's really easy to see. It lets you balance your tags so that it, you know, you can, you can twist things out, open and close using those same triangles. We actually just talked about in the color sync tip there. Uh, and, and so you can, if you've got, you know, some bit of, of your page that you don't need to edit, you can just twist that closed and now it's out of your way. And it's just happening in the editor. It's not changing the code by twisting it. It's just changing the display. Some other things in, uh, in BB edit 10, uh, they've totally revamped the preferences and gutted a lot of the stuff that you didn't, uh, that most people didn't use. You can still access it all from the command line if you want, but the preferences are so much easier to navigate. Uh, they now have Dropbox support. Uh, you can have your app BB edit application support folder live in your Dropbox folder, which means that all of the stuff that's out there, uh, you can have shared between your multiple machines, which gets really, really handy. And, uh, and, and it's, it's, uh, and now you can search replace and even edit files that are inside of zip archives, really handy for those kinds of things that you might, uh, Maybe you download to your Mac, you want to make a change to it and then upload it to a server. You don't have to go through the process of, of mucking about with the unzipping and rezipping. You just leave it in there and edit it right, right from in there. All this at barebones.com again, 39 99 between now and October 20th. So, uh, th this is exciting stuff. Really, really cool. That's it. I got to quit with listening. <laughs> Every time I listen to you guys and I get stuff like that, I got to go get, but for that, go price, get yeah, for that price. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. You know, they, they make it, they make it easy for us to, uh, to do these ad spots because, uh, because of stuff like this. So yeah, it gets expensive listening to you too. I know it does. Pete. <laughs> I know, I know. And Pete, you're here to, uh, to represent the listeners. So, uh, so we appreciate that. And and I, and so do they. Yeah. So. All right. Um, so I've, I've had, I've been having all kinds of tales of woe here, John, but, but one of them turned out to be a good thing. Self-inflicted. Uh, no, but, I, I spent some time on the phone with my cable company. I mean, I'm not even going to go into why, because it's, it's sort of irrelevant and tangential. And <laughs> I know we like tangents, but we're going to go on enough of them today here, John. While I was on the phone with them, uh, you, well, rewind a little bit. I've always said I, I sign up for the slowest service that Comcast offers because 12 down and two up was plenty for me. Uh, 
I had to be on the phone with my cable company going through all sorts of different things with our package and our plan. And they kept telling me, you have the, the 25 down four up plan. And I said, no, you know, and they just kept mentioning this. Like, no, I, I have 12 too, but it's fine. I, that, that's all I need. And they're like, no, no, no. You, we show it in the system. I'm like, no, no, no. I did the speed test, you know, two up. That's what I get. Two megabits. And, uh, and then after I got off the phone with them, I thought, well, maybe if they keep telling me I have this 25 down and two up plan, maybe or four up, maybe I do. So all I did was reset my cable modem. And sure enough, I have 25 megabits down and uh, four up. In fact, I have Comcast has this, you know, power boost or whatever they call it. So for the first minute, I actually get six megabits up and then it drops down to four uh, after the first minute and stays there uh, for the entire upload, which is really handy when uploading the show. The first time I used it was on Monday, John. And it, I remember, you know, if you'll remember after the show, I was all excited because because uh, it was blasting. It was great. So. My advice to you is every now and then it's probably not a bad idea to reset your cable modem. What happened for me and what possible, and I've had this happen enough in the past that it's, it's worth doing is the cable modem gets provisioned uh, on the uh, comp in my case, Comcast side, but on your ISP side and on their side, they say, Oh, that modem gets this software profile. And the profile is what determines uh, how fast your modem will go. It's actually your modem deciding how fast to go, but it's with software that it can only get from the cable company. And the thing is, it only checks for new software when it reboots. So according to Comcast, because I, I called them and asked, and they said they'd changed this like a month ago, but they never told anybody that they had done this. They upgraded a lot of people. Mm. In fact, Pete, you might be right. You might be a candidate for this. So just restart your cable modem. Mm. And, and it, if, you know, if it if there is a new software update, it'll pull it down and then restart again. At least that's what happened in my case. And then it was back up with uh, with smoke and speeds. Cool. Yep. Yep. So uh, so that's my nice. advice to you all. Yeah. I'm going to yeah. mention a couple of things. Go. So one, you may have been able to see this, Dave. So there are two tools I'm going to mention for those with cable modems. They okay. may work on DSL, but I think it's mostly cable. So one, it's a little Java utility. And of course, Java comes with OS 10. So, so you're cool. Docs Diag. Java does not come this. with Lion anymore. Well, if if it's needed, it'll ask you. No, I, you're right. I had this happen. No, I had something that needed Java. I'm trying to remember what it was. It was something unexpected. Yeah, but, but go it was ahead. using Sorry Java for the UI. But but no, no, it's a good point. Um, no, you, you'll get this. Uh, I, no, I remember that. Yeah, something came up and it says uh, you don't have a JV. Uh, you don't have Java installed. Would you like me to download the latest? So, not sure why they excluded that from Lion because I had it in my snow leopard install yeah i don't know why it took it out or, or asked explicitly but anyways there's a tool called docs diag yep as far as i know it still works i'll, I'll try it under lion i don't see why it would change but it's a command line tool and this tool will tell you everything about the profile of your cable modem and i bet think if you did a verbose run of this and a lot of utilities if you do a dash v it'll give you verbose and then it has so i think it has dash v dash vv and then like dash vvv and it'll spit out everything that is contained within your cable modem and i bet you somewhere there's that figure of what your current caps are so you may you wouldn't be able to change it no i think you're right you know it kind of surprises me you would think they could push down a profile but then i guess that that'd be a hard thing to manage so they just reload it when you when you restart right so that's one thing now some uh, another thing you could do and you and i both use this all the time i think dave but uh there is an ip address that typically a doxis cable modem will respond to and tell you something it may not tell you again this info but it, it'll tell you some things and that's 
And you launch that in your browser. Right. So you see it in a web browser. And like in my case, it shows the name, the serial number, uh, hardware version, and it shows the receive and transmit power levels, which could be useful to diagnose certain issues. And that, that depends on what, what they think you should be able to see. So, um, two tools that can help you really uh, dig into your cable modem. If, if the company lets you, that they may prohibit it. They, they may not allow. I was going to point out, I think you have one of the few cable companies in the U.S. that allows uh, for the type of probing that Doc's Diag requires. I can't do it here, and I've heard from a lot of other folks that it oh, just doesn't. Okay. It just comes up and says the, you know, the cable modem is, doesn't respond. And it, it's because hmm. a utility like this won't work on this side of my connection. It works from the cable modem or the cable company's side of the com- connection. But of course uh, I can't, you know, I can't get there. So yeah, in fact, I'm trying docs diag here now, John, and I'm not no love, but assuming we're still connected, well, I'm at least not breaking anything. Well, also you have to, I, I think you got to say Java space dash jar space. And then the name of the executable, you got to invoke it. Just yeah, the right way I have the right command work. and you got to do the dash CMIP to tell it what the cable modems IP address is and all that stuff. Oh, oh no. In my case, it just kind of knows. Yeah. Not no, no love for us Comcast customers, but try it. If you're not a Comcast customer, try it. It's uh, so I'll link to the page that has it, but it's uh, it's certainly a useful tool for exploring. It can let you do more than explore. So be careful. You you could potentially uh, disrupt your cable network, in which case they, they may get angry. So, so with great power comes great responsibility. Of course. That's (laughs) right. (laughs) What uh, is next on uh, on Twitter? Andy had uh, had 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 uh, sent us something uh, from Mac Geek Up three forty five. We were lamenting some of the issues in Lion uh, that that had changed things, and one of those things was that you could not uh, you could not do a key repeat anymore. Um, and Andy found an answer to that in a MacWorld article uh, that allows you to turn that back on with, I believe, a terminal command. And also Lion now adds this window restore. When you launch an app, it pulls up all the windows that you previously had. And that works great for most apps, but some apps, uh, especially I, I have like a weird FileMaker thing. Cause I connect to a server. It was causing like multiple windows to open and it was getting really strange. And so there is a terminal command that you can invoke that will um, disable that too which is uh, and you can do it on a per app basis, which is really handy. It's a defaults uh, write command from the terminal and you use NS quit always keeps windows open is the uh, is the, the flag that you set. And you just set it to false for that application. The, the instructions are here in this Macworld article. It's again, it's one of those things that's much easier to read than to hear. But uh, but we wanted to point it out to you. So check the show notes for the link. It's good stuff. I was very happy to turn it off for a couple of apps, and uh, and my 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 life is is so much happier now. Anything to add there, John? Nothing. Okay. Uh, you know, we heard from one of our uh, favorite Apple geniuses, and uh, this genius wanted to clarify something. Uh, the the letter states i wanted to respond to the listener on your last show who suggested that the number of apple products a customer owns has some bearing on the service we as geniuses can provide in the stores this is absolutely untrue at least at all of the stores i've worked in Uh, while we love our loyal customers i want to instill in you the fact that i would likely get fired 
If I offered a different experience or service option to a customer based on anything other than the machine being brought in for service. While we can see other products that the customer owns in our system, we never use that as a basis to determine the best solution for that customer. For the listener with his 2006 MacBook, there's a quality program on all top cases for pre-unibody plastic MacBooks, uh, the part with the keyboard and the trackpad that allows us to replace that part at no cost, regardless of warranty status, if it is chipped or cracking. The genius that that listener worked with likely used that as at the avenue to authorize replacement of the part for the bad keys. I don't want anyone to get the false assumption that just because they own only one or two Apple products, that they will not receive good and fair service. So thank you very much for, for uh, keeping us and all of our listeners informed. That's that's uh, we, we definitely made some assumptions there based on what we'd heard from a couple of listeners and appreciate the clarification. So that's, that's good stuff. Well, you're, you're laughing. Conspiracy John. theory dismissed. Debunked. That's right. Dismissed. <laughs> dispatched. That's right. Gone. Uh, you know, while we're on the topic of dealing with some perhaps incorrect assumptions, Andy uh, or Andrew, I guess, uh, as he likes to be called, wrote in and uh, he was the one that uh, back in show 342, we uh, had the software update and uh, issue where he could not get the uh, the the oh, what what is it? Uh, he had a new iMac and he was trying to do the software update to get Thunderbolt to work properly and it would not install. And so we had him checking his receipts folder and he found there was only you know a, a smattering of things there, maybe two or three items. And we assume that at some point, in fact, I think I even chastised him here on the air uh, for wiping out yes, all the did. stuff in his receipts folder. And while he may or may not have done that. Uh, some further digging with him, a yielded an answer, uh, and more importantly, B yielded, uh, the fact that he might not have done anything to his receipts folder. In fact, a falsely accused, falsely <laughs> accused, a library receipts folder having only three items is absolutely normal for anyone that hasn't upgraded wow. their machine from pre snow leopard. So I did some digging and, uh, so Andy wrote, uh, 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 reinstall the snow. Well, we don't need to go through that. We already sort of explained it. So what I did was I looked in the library receipts folder. Now this isn't my home library receipts folder. This is at the top level of the hard drive. And, uh, and the only files in there, there were only three files in there. Well, two files in a folder, uh, install history dot P list BSD dot PKG and a folder called DB. Those are the only three files that had been, updated in 2011. In fact, there were only probably another two or three files that were updated in 2010 and everything else was from 2009. So I started thinking, well, maybe Andrew's not totally crazy. And so I looked in this install history P list file and it was listing everything that had been installed very recently, but the place where it was storing those receipts is a different folder. It's private slash var slash DB slash receipts. And that's where all the new stuff, both from Apple and third parties on my machine uh, were being stored. And so that's clearly from, you know, pre pre lion and, and probably, you know, all the way back to the beginning of snow leopard is, is where the installer starts dumping this stuff. Uh, so a, that's the place to look for your recent receipts and B uh, Andrew solved this problem by, <laughs> I, I guess it was a, a MacBook pro because 
He just had to plug his computer in. His machine would not do the Thunderbolt firmware update without power being uh, uh, supplied by AC. Uh, he only had his battery and it would not do the firmware update on the battery for fear that uh, that he might fail mid stream. So so that's the answer to that is make sure you have your battery plugged in when, or your uh, AC adapter plugged in when you're doing firmware updates on a portable. But more importantly, private VAR DB receipts is where those receipts are stored. So thanks, Andrew, for remaining persistent. No, I believe I, I don't know if you mentioned it, but I, I think he did fess up to us. And I, I believe mm. what happened, which is not the recommended way to migrate applications. But I do believe he mentioned that at one point what he did was drag the applications from one applications folder to another. Uh, yeah, from one computer to another, you mean? Right. And although the Mac is intuitive and a lot of, and that that seems to make sense. <clears throat> yeah. As we've discussed in the past and we will now. Not everything that constitutes an application is in the applications folder. Right. So right. Uh, in that case, I would have used something like Migration Assistant. Uh, I think that would have brought everything over. Yes. Now, it's funny, Dave, because I do see now the reason that, you know, I went down the wrong path and I'm glad you didn't, you know, chastise me. That's right. But it was I your fault. See, You're the one that started down this answer. No, I'm, I'm going to blame someone else. <laughs> oh, okay. Because no, well, I'm looking. No, no, I, I, I got a good reason here. So I'm looking in my library receipts folder and I see some things that are dated 2011, Dave. Hmm. Receipts dated 2011 from what? Uh, I'm glad you asked that question. So this is who I'm going to blame because <laughs> that's okay. why I thought what I said was correct. Um, HDR FX Pro uh, and Sharpener Pro 3.0. I bet they don't use Apple's installer. Well, you know, I think they do, but I think they may be putting things in. in and, and these are from the fine people. I believe it's a, the, the, the company is Nick Software. Yeah. That makes a very nice. Uh, gra- uh, these are a few things. Our, that our I'm, own that Adam Christensen. And of course, Adam Christensen from the MacCast, I think, used to uh, used to work at. Nick yeah, Software. I think he used to have yeah. a gig there. And uh, th- so these are plugins for Aperture. So maybe they were using an earlier version, but these are definitely maybe. both dated 2011. So maybe they were using an earlier version of Apple's installer or, uh, you know, their maybe their own it's, installer. It, yeah. And, you know, that's it's it's not the wrong place to put it, but it's maybe not the most current. Right. So that's why when I saw some 2011 items, I thought oh, that that's the reason. But you're correct. I mean, the the, the the next most recent thing in there is something called iPhoto compatibility software, and that's dated January 31st, 2010. OK, so, yeah. yeah. And then the rest is third party stuff or it's very old Apple stuff. Right. So, right. But I got right. a lot of stuff in there because, as you indicated, yeah, this machine has uh, been upgraded a few times. So I think I told you I had like 400 things in there, which, you know, this is a lion annoyance. Remember how it used to show you on the bottom of the uh, finder window? Yeah. Uh, things like how many items are there and uh, the free space and all that. Yeah. I have the solution for you. Hang on one second. You get it back. Good. I, do you know how to bring get it back, Pete, off uh, the top of your head? In it view. Uh, it's in the view menu. Yeah. yeah. View menu. And then it show a toolbar status bar. Status bar. That's it. Show and, status uh, bar. Or command forward slash. Yeah. We'll hide and unfi- hide that. Yeah. Did that work for you, John? No. No. Really? Yeah, so I got that back on mine. Go, I'm, to, I'm, go I'm, to Finder yeah. and then hold down the command key and hit the forward slash. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Forward slash. That's right. View show status bar. That's it. And that'll pop it right up for you in the Finder, John. It is kind of annoying, though, that they moved that whole. Yeah. That whole sidebar around that I've been used to for the last four years. 
Yeah, yeah. Well, it's yeah. it's not working. But and now the color maybe because I am using a Finder alternative. Oh, you're not using the Finder. You're using Pathfinder. Mm-hmm. That's right. Correct. Or totally. That's finder. something I've I've noticed a lot of people have shook their fist at because yep. to me that was kind of a, oh no I put info I put that back right away. And and one other thing you guys I think talked about it about two or three shows ago, but it probably bear repeating is guys are moving into uh, Lion is now your home folder library is hidden. And oh, we talked to, about yeah, that. Yeah, oh, yeah. The way yeah. to get to that is Command G, and then type. Oh, there's a much there's a much tool. better way. Pete. Oh, really? Oh, okay. yeah. Go to the go. I think go I saw an article. Menus. I think there's seven ways gives you to Command G. Go to the Go menu and pop down the Option key, oh. and library magically appears. Really? Yeah, and then there's a terminal command that I don't remember off the top of my head, but we linked to in I think it was show three forty three that uh, that you can uh unhide it's like ch flags space dash no hidden space and then uh home or tilde slash library and then that would uh that'll do it cool yeah it's all good stuff way to get in there and mess with all those good system files and really yeah Yeah, it's not a bad have some felt self-inflicted tales of woe it's not a bad thing to hide the library folder from from users in general if you want to get there you're not there by accident and that's a good thing yeah so yeah. should we delete I, all those package installer files <laughs> that I found out there from t- 2009? I mean, yeah, yeah. I'm really tempted to. Yeah. yeah the OCD in me when Speak, I saw that. Yeah, speaking of self-inflict though, <laughs> I'm worried to do that. Of course you are. And rightly so. No, I think in that case, I'll have to agree with you, Dave, that I think having a little intent on the user's part, very similar to, yeah. so, I'm sorry, I'm going to say it, but windows does something very similar. Mm-hmm. When you try to go places, they don't think you should go. And I think you've seen this as well. And I think it's still in the current version of Windows. Right. Uh, it'll say, hey, you know, this 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 is a place you, you really shouldn't be poking around. If you really want me to show you what's in here, then explicitly give permission. That's so, right. Uh, so Apple borrowed a little little something from Microsoft there. Yeah. Which I, no, it's a good thing. <laughs> All right. Uh, now let's go to a real question that's, uh, that's, that's just new. Uh Lauren writes, I just installed OS 10 lion and I love it. And this question is not the answer to this question is not specific to lion. So if, if you haven't or won't upgrade to lion, keep listening. Uh, she says, however, I had to do a clean install of snow leopard before I installed lion. So as I was forced to do this, I just did a clean install and didn't put any of my actual information from my backup on my MacBook Pro until Lion was installed. And I've gotten almost everything back on my Mac, including excluding my contacts. So here's my question. Is there a way to import my contacts from my time machine backup? If not, then I have my contacts on my iPhone. I could get them off of there. How exactly? I'm not sure. Uh, But there's an answer for you, Lauren. So here's the thing. It's important to understand that the address book is not just used by the address book app. It's used by certainly by the mail app and sometimes even other apps will use it. So if we're going to be manipulating this data in a way that the system is probably not expecting, my advice is first, before you do anything, quit all the apps that you have running. Number two, make a backup of the existing address book data folder. And that folder is home library application support address book. Uh, Then restore while you're in that folder, restore the contents of that folder, all of the contents of that folder from your time machine backup. You can do this right in the finder. Uh, As soon as that's done, 
restart your Mac immediately. Again, this is because there might be apps that are looking to that folder and the restart will force them all to see the new data as opposed to something that might be cached in RAM or something like that. Uh, and as soon as you uh, come back up, launch address book and your data will be there. And in fact, uh, we sent this suggestion to Lauren and indeed it, it worked. So, uh, so it would, it did bring in an address book from snow leopard into lion, but it would work just fine, you know, for snow leopard to snow leopard or, you know, however that, it, that will work. So, uh, so there, there's your, there's your little answer for restoring the address book. You have anything to add there, John? Nice. Yeah. Well, if you haven't yet come across a situation where you need to restore your address book, then one place you may want to look is file export address book archive from within address book. Correct. Yes. Yeah. That's if you know, you're going to have to restore it. That's another way of doing it is you can archive it from, from within there and then restore. Yeah. Just thought I'd mention it, but yeah, I'm with you. A lot of things draw on that. Yeah. Like mail. Yeah. Yeah. So if you wonder why things autocomplete in mail, that's probably because it's drawing on the same database. Right. So, right. Yeah. So I, I like your uh, cautions there to make sure that it doesn't fight with anything else. Yeah. Or, or at least reduce the chances of it, of it doing so. And the same is true if you're going to muck around with your calendar data, which is in a similar place. Home library application support. I think I, either iCal or calendars. In fact, it might not even be application support. I should get that right so that we don't mess anybody up. If we go into uh, home library, it is just in home library calendars. Uh, and you can do the same thing, but again, it's, you know, that's that whole calendar store thing for the system. So same, same precautions and it, uh, it does work. I've done that myself and it, it works fine. So. Oh, and BusyCal has the same export. Yep. And, and, and BusyCal has backup a, and restore. Nice. Has a backup and restore. Yeah. yeah. Which is handy. Uh, all right, John, in, uh, in Twitter today, Somebody tweeted us at Mac Geek Gab and uh, asked a question, and, and we do tend to answer questions there. And of course, sometimes they make it into the show, as this one did. Uh, one of our followers asked, "How do I completely disable the top sites functionality in Safari 5.1? Uh, if you've upgraded to Leopard, uh, to Lion, or even just from an older version of uh, maybe Safari 5 or or uh, to 5.1, you aren't this this behavior isn't imposed upon you, but if you start fresh with Safari, it is uh, new windows will open with the Safari top sites thing where it pulls from your history, the most recently and most frequently used sites and puts them in a kind of a grid array. And it can be kind of slow because it's pulling all this stuff in uh, my way of deleting it or my way of disabling it is if you go into preferences general and go to uh Two things uncheck or in new windows open with and new tabs open with set that to anything other than top sites. And then you just won't see it anymore. So that, that, that did it for me, John, you have any thoughts on that? I have one follow up to that. So you may want to suppress what's in there. And so I find a nice little article at, um, Macworld called how to manage Safari's top sites. Okay. And it does have, so one thing you may want to do, so I don't know if there's a security concern here or it's just an annoyance, but if there's a security concern before you disable that, you may want to go to the top sites page and there should be a little edit button. And then what will happen is you'll see each one that's been identified. And if you click on an X, it'll get rid of it. So you may want to do that first and clean it, clean it up. Got it. I, I wonder if just cleaning out history would uh, would do that. Mm hmm. 
You, you know what I mean? It, it, it would, it, if cleaning history would just wipe out top sites as well. I think I it does. I recently reset Safari, and I, I had a top sites page that was completely blank when I first opened it. So. That's good to know. Okay. okay. Cool. Uh, all right. Uh, next, we'll see what Charles has to ask, and we'll see what John has to say about this. Charles writes, I thought I... Uh, in my house, I have two Macs, one pre-September 06 and the other post-September 06. What does this mean? Well, one is a Core Duo 183 and the other Core 2 Duo 183. The latter, based on your podcast and Apple's install guide, tell me I should be able to upgrade to Lion. The first one is a bit of another issue as it is a 32-bit processor and does not meet the 64-bit processor requirements that Lion requires. A search of the internet and an article in MacLife details how one can swap out the Core Duo processor with a Core 2, thus creating a 64-bit environment. What it does not tell us is if Lion will run in this environment, as Lion was not yet a topic of the rumor mills at that time. The concern is, with the logic board and firmware of the iMac, Profiler tells me that my pre-September 06 iMac is a Model 4,1. I've contemplated with cracking the case and swapping the processor with a Core 2 Duo, but I'm hesitant to do it if, when done, I still get a cannot-pass-go response when attempting to upgrade from Snow Leopard to Lion. Will the Lion OS look for eligibility based on model and logic board, or will it be happy knowing that it has a friendly 64-bit processor? John? All right, had to whip out the Google foo on this one. And okay, I'm really happy. I, I, uh, I, you got to admit that this was a good answer. Well, we'll, we'll see Go. if it's a good answer. Tell I think it's a good is. answer. Well, you know, I'm, I'm not sure what the answer is, but I'm going to tell you how I think Lion knows. Okay, if your system is eligible, so you would think. So the question is, is it going to look at my system and say? Do I have a 32-bit or a 64-bit processor? And as far as I can tell, that's not the way Lion no. determines your system is eligible. Here's how it knows. And so I found a thread on MacRumors.com. Thanks, guys, or thanks to the guy who, who posted this. Um, here's how Lion does it. There's a file, System Library Core Services Platform Support.plist. And if you look in that file, Dave, what are you going to see? Well, I thought you'd see model numbers or, you know, something that kind of made sense. But yep. no, it's a board ID. Whoa. What the heck's a board ID? I don't. Uh, do you know? No. And I'll admit, I'll admit I never knew what a board ID was. But the poster of this one message uh, provided a handy way for one to find out how to obtain this board ID. And it's uh -huh. as follows. I O reg space dash L P space IO service space a vertical bar, which is a pipe space grep space board dash ID. And what that will do is tell you the board ID of the machine that you're running. You sure about that? I'm pretty sure that that's what it, I, I ran it. And okay, my machine spat out, spat out a value because at first I looked at the value and it kind of looked like hexish type of a, I don't know if you're looking at the file right now. No, I, I ran the command. Okay, and you get probably a, what, like a six or eight character No, code, I, get, right? I get no board ID from this, uh, from this machine. But, but maybe I got the command wrong, so just keep going. I don't reg space. Let me, let me do it real quick. I.O. service. Yep. Is it? Space. And vertical dash, bar, grep, board, you, you dash, ID. You don't need the vertical bar. It's not very much output. 
Uh, well, no, I'm looking here on my Mac Mini. It says Mac dash F two two zero eight E C eight. Interesting. So basically, it's actually just type IO service, and I mean, what it's doing is piping it through grep, so we can. Right. Uh, That's what I mean. I just yes. I reg. Uh, is that the right command? I just no, t- IO uh, capital I capital O capital service. Ah, that's why. Okay, so, so it's capital it I, capital O service. Um, try it again. You should get a value that's like Mac dash one, two, three, four, five, seven, and eight hex characters. Huh. No, I'm not. That, huh? Hmm. Uh, I O reg dash LP space capital I, capital O service. Yeah, that looks right. All right. I don't know why you're uh, not getting anything. Copy and paste what you typed into your Mac into our Skype chat here, and I'll try. There you are. Thank it looks you. identical. It does look identical. Ah, no, it capital service, too. Capital I, capital O, oh. capital S. That's oh. the difference. There it is. Board ID. Yep. Got it. And you will get Mac dash and eight hex characters, right? Yeah. So then what you do. So sorry, we got off the track there. So back onto the track. So my it's not suspicion, off the track. That's getting it correct. No, it's getting it. Yeah, we got to get it correct here. So yeah. it's just a, 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 a case error. Yeah. <laughs> so my suspicion is that if you take that value and you add it to this plist file on your Lion installer, it should install Lion on that machine. Oh. Now, this brought up a very interesting question, Dave. It did. Uh, it brought up a very interesting question because then we were asking ourselves. Will Lion, so, so as we know, on Apple's page, they say, well, you need a 64-bit processor to run Lion. Right. Or do you? And actually, if there are any propeller heads out there that know this, I'd really like to know this because we were, we were talking before the show and, and Dave, you were asking me, well, John, you're running the 64-bit kernel, right? And I'm like, no. Yeah, so you are, you use like, the, Why? yeah, John has used the old uh, utility that we had with Snow Leopard that, that was called the 32 or 64 bit uh, startup mode selector. And you set it to boot in 32 bit mode because you had some uh, extension or system extension that you needed to run that was only 32 bit and it worked. And so you're running Lion in 32 bit mode. Well, with the 32 bit kernel, with a 32 bit kernel. Correct. Not all that different from Snow Leopard. And the other thing that we know, based on our discussions, is that Lion supports the running of both 32-bit and 64-bit Intel apps. Right. So begs the question, could you run Lion? Maybe not that well, because there could be some other dependencies. Well, no, because but it seems- Snow-, Snow Leopard wouldn't run on a Core Duo machine either. But, you know, is it the same reason? Is it because oh. the installer blocked it or was there some other technical limitation? And maybe there was some. Te- but but I, I guess my, uh, my thought right. process is, well, you can run a 32 bit kernel and you can run 32 bit apps. So why can't you run it on? a? Oh, no, wait, Snow Leopard, will Snow Leopard run on a core duo? Now I'm getting confused. No, I think it would. Pretty sure. Yeah, it maybe it would. Yeah. That's right. And I mean, the only uh, thing—the only thing that that Snow Leopard got rid of was uh, yeah, Core you know, Duo. Core Duo was compatible right? with Snow Leopard. It, it was that you couldn't run Snow Leopard on a Power PC machine. Sorry, I'm 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 confusing our our limitations right. and they ditched, here. And they ditched uh, right. the classic. So correct, correct, correct. So maybe you yeah, can maybe you can run Lion. trick Lion to run on a 32-bit. Uh, again, I, I I suspect there's probably some piece of the OS somewhere that will only run on a 64-bit system. And but hey, if anybody's 
wants to try it, you know, we got the tip. We'll link to the article that tells you how to get this board ID. And, uh, you know, what's the worst that can happen? Well, I total system you. shut down. <laughs> total <laughs> cratering. Yeah. yeah, that's right. Yeah. The universe will explode at the speed of light. <laughs> no, wait, it already did. All that. right. <laughs> but um, so it, so uh, I don't know if I'd recommend running Lion on a 32-bit system. But seeing as how he's going to upgrade to a 64-bit processor, I'd I'd say, hey, you know, that's a good way to squeak just a little more life out of that machine. So yeah. I, I I would say I I support uh, I support this fully. Yeah. Cool. All right. Uh, our second sponsor for this show is Smile Software or Smile, as they're called at smilesoftware.com with Disc Label. Disc Label is a piece of software that lets you create and then print labels and case inserts for CDs and DVDs. You can take stuff. Uh, you can take your own artwork. You can take uh, clip art that they've got. And build these really cool things. If you burn a CD with a, your own custom iTunes playlist, you can actually have it pull the song names from that playlist and, and match them in even with your own artwork and your own color scheme and print this stuff out. You can print jewel case inserts to go inside the front of the, you know, the flip cover of the CD case. You can also make DVD uh labels for this of course the label itself on the dvd is going to be the same as it would be on a cd but dvds often come in those taller boxes and you can print dvd uh, box labels uh, from this as well maybe you've done a you know here's 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 something you've gone on a summer vacation right you took a bunch of pictures uh, maybe you've taken some movie movies maybe not but you take those pictures and you pull them in to like IDVD and you do your Ken Burns thing and you kind of play some music and you have the the little montage going of your whole trip. Now you can burn that to a DVD, right? And then with disc label, you can make a label for the disc, make a label for the, uh, for the, for the, for the case and ship that off to family members. Maybe that were on the trip with you. Uh, you know, my kids uh, went on a, or my daughter went on a trip with her grandparents last year. They took her and, uh, out to Wyoming and they had this great trip together. And, uh, and so at the end she did, she made a, a, a movie of all this and she put it together and we did a disc label, uh, label for it. And it, you know, it's just a nice kind of customized, very personal thing that you can do. And it works so well. It's so easy to use. Uh, you can download a free trial from smilesoftware.com. Uh, and when you're ready to buy, it's 36 bucks, actually save a nickel 35 95, and they even have a 90-day money-back guarantee. So uh, so go check it out. Uh, smilesoftware.com and download Disc Label and start playing around with it. That's that's all you got to do to get hooked. Uh, and it, should, uh, it shouldn't take very long. Smilesoftware.com. All right. We have uh, a question from Chris. Chris writes, uh, I installed Snow... I installed Lion. I upgraded from uh, Snow Leopard. And I'm having a problem with Apple Mail that I actually saw in Snow Leopard 2. And I'm trying to describe this because he's got a, a screenshot here. Essentially, what Chris sent in was a screenshot of mail showing the message, the mailbox list, and all of that was fine. But at the top, where you'd normally see from and subject and all of that stuff, was blank. It had maybe one little dot up there. And, uh, and so I think the solution for you, Chris is go up to the view menu in mail and go to columns. And you're going to see a whole lot of options up here. But my guess is that there's only going to be one or maybe two checkboxes there. If you check 
the columns that you want to see, all of that stuff will appear. Of course, for the rest of us, maybe we have too much stuff appearing up there and we don't need to see if a message has attachments or gosh, you know, I turned this off a long time ago, but there's the buddy availability column. I don't need to see if someone's on iChat when I'm looking in mail. Maybe some people do, but I don't. So I turn that off. Uh, I go by date sent. So I turn off the date received column. If you don't use flags in mail, you can turn that off. You can really come up here and customize mail to uh, to really be as clean as you need it to be at, while still showing the data that you want to see. So uh, so the mail view menu view columns is really, really handy. And then, of course, you can sort by those columns, either by choosing it in the view sort by menu or just going to the top of the column header in mail. So handy little tip. And hopefully that helps get you straightened out there, Chris. Anything on that one, John? No. <laughs> Mail's working good for me. Good. good. Well, sometimes it doesn't. It's working good for me, too. But, you know, sometimes it's good to help out our listeners. That is kind of what we do here. All right. We're going to roll the dice, John. We're going to uh, we're going to see. Oh, can I roll them? <laughs> yeah. You, well, yeah, but I have to press the button because the button's over seven. here. We're going to no. see. Uh, Adam has a question about mail. We're going to see if we can play it. Hey, John, Dave, this is Adam. Uh, I'm calling about uh, mail and Lion. Um, I'm just curious if you have any tips as to how to set it up optimally. Um, One of the things that I'm using now um, is the archive button. Uh, It's not in the default toolbar, but if you customize your toolbar, uh, you can put it up there. And um, it seems that if you're using IMAP, that when you uh, press the archive button or choose the menu item, whatever, um, that it will put it into a folder, or I'm sorry, it'll create an IMAP mailbox um, where um, all where the message gets put called archive. And um, this seems to work great with Gmail, and um, I, I'm hoping that it works well with my other IMAP uh, servers. Um, I'm not sure what it's supposed to do with POP, but um, in any case, uh, it seems to simplify the emptying of my um, inbox um, Things that I want to, I don't want to delete, but that I want to keep and be able to search on. I just press archive and it puts it there. And uh, I guess I can file into separate folders for action items or whatever that I want handled differently. But uh, the archive seems to be a great place to just throw things. And it seems like this is totally um, in sync with what's been going on on the iPad and iPhone. Um, but uh, if you have any um, advice as to uh, whether this is a good setup or whether there are any gotchas, I'd, I'd be really interested in hearing it. And also any other advice on uh, Mac OS X Lion changes in, in mail and how to effectively use mail as best as possible. Thanks. Awesome. Uh, yeah, I, 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 um, in fact, I had a G or a, uh, I use Gmail. I use their, their uh, web, whatever, what's it called for business? I can't remember. Google apps Google for apps domains. For business. Yeah. Thanks. Domain. Google yeah. domains. Yeah. Yeah. Google domains. So I, I had an archive mailbox or a, a folder label that I created in Gmail a long time ago and mail locked right into that with, with lion. And when I choose archive, it just puts stuff out there. Now I don't typically file my mail with my hand on the mouse. If I do, then the archive button actually is a brilliant thing. What I use is a third party utility uh, it's a plugin for mail and it's called mail act on act dash O N and it's from indev.ca, And we'll put a link in the show notes, but 
what mail acton does is it allows me to assign keystrokes to anything that I can have a rule do. Uh, but it happens only when I invoke the keystroke and only on the messages that are selected. So I actually have a keystroke for archiving mail. And I've talked about this before, but it's awesome. Uh, so I navigate my mail with, uh, with the arrow keys up and down. And when I want to archive something, I just fire up this keystroke and it, bam, it moves the mail off. It moves me to the next message and I'm good to go. So, uh, so really handy. I have separate keystrokes for archiving, uh, to a couple of different mailboxes. And then I even have something where if it's uh, junk mail, I have a keystroke that'll send it to, uh, the Gmail spam folder. And that way it trains it, it trains Gmail that it's spam and, and it actually works really well. So, and I have one that pull to pull out of the spam folder and put back in my inbox too, if I'm going through spam. So yeah, mail act on is probably the, 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 in fact, it is the first thing that I need to add to mail to make it, uh, to make it work really well. And of course, John, you turned me on to something that now I also need to have in mail. Uh, but I'll let you tell the, uh, if there are fine listeners about that. I will. And it's called, well, two things. Okay, good. Well, no, one thing. Well, right. one thing. And it's called signature profiler. It used to be a freebie. It is now a commercial piece of software, but I think it's well worth it because the one aggravation I had when I moved from my beloved Eudora <laughs> after all these years and finally pulled the trigger and moved to mail app, the one feature that I believe Eudora had and handled quite well, but mail app was oddly missing was a way to tie a specific signature or you know what appears at the end of your email message to a specific email address, especially if you have an email address that is linked to, to others or that, okay. that may be tied to, to multiple others. So for example, I have my main ISP, but I may have mail from other accounts forwarded to that account with a different one. Like for example, Mac Observer, I have that forwarded to my primary ISP's mail and I put it in that mailbox. The problem is normally with mail, if you respond uh, from what I recall, it wasn't smart enough to pick a signature based on where I was replying from. Right. It's smart enough to pick the address that you're replying from. If you, yes. if you put your address, and this is actually a good tip. If you go into mail and this works in snow leopard, leopard, uh, tiger and lion, if you go into mail preferences, choose accounts and then choose the account that the mail is going to come into. Uh, the second field on the first page uh, there is called email address. And normally it's just got one address there. You can put multiple addresses in separated by a comma, and then you'll get a little drop down to choose what address you want to send from. But mails, right. as I just said, mail's smart enough. If, if something was sent to one of those, if you put five addresses there, if, if mail was sent to one of those addresses and you choose right. reply, it grabs that address out of the list and automatically chooses it. So very cool. So keep going, John. Yeah, but, but it doesn't change. But, the but I'm going to take a little tangent here, Dave. So for okay. example, the scenario that I mentioned. So for example, Dave, we have two different email addresses. So that's why I say a little tangent. We have two different email addresses for the podcast. We have feedback at MacGeekGab.com. No, no, no. It's, it's feedback at MacGeekGab.com. <laughs> it certainly is feedback at macgeekgab.com but we also have another address for our premium podcast and that's premium at macgeekgab.com that's premium that's right at macgeekgab.com absolutely and what i like to do is have a different signature based on which address uh i'm replying to right from correct right so for example in the 
in the premium, I may say, you know, add something saying, hey, thanks for being a premium subscriber. Or in the regular one, I may put something saying, hey, by the way, have you heard about right. <laughs> our premium show? And that's uh, that's enough of a plug for the premium show. No, it's but I think not. it's well 25 worth it. bucks, six months gets you two extra shows per month and uh, access to all the archives. And of course, you get to support John and I and we really appreciate it. So, yes, we do. Yeah. OK, so that's enough of a plug. Yeah, but I, I think it is well worth it. I, I personally do. But I signed up. You can just and so did I. And I think Pete did, too. That's but right. you can imagine that something like this, as soon as you start getting multiple email addresses or and or multiple email accounts, if you want to personalize your reply, then Signature Profiler is is awesome. And now I I. I it would be very frustrating for me to be on a system that did not have it because then I, I would either have to abandon the ability to customize the, the reply, which I don't want to do right. or just live with the abilities of, of mail app or, or find another program. I, I had so. to live, I lived without signature profiler for about a week and a half uh, because he wasn't ready for lion. By the time I had moved my main machine to one of the lion developer previews and uh, right. And it, you know, so I, I had, what I had to do was I went back and I was using text expander to do my signatures, uh, which works great. You know, I mean, I, okay. I, I had, you know, so at least I didn't have to keep typing them all the time. I, I had a little shortcut for each of my signatures, but still having it automatically there is much better than even typing as a shortcut. So, um, so it is cool now that I have all these shortcuts built in text expander, which I hadn't previously, but, uh, but it was very, it was a happy day when signature profilers started working again in lion. Yeah. yeah, and I think when I upgraded, I think it did unmap. I think I had to remap some of my signatures that they they oh maybe uh, something happened. I I had to remap anyway because but that was because I hadn't been running it, so I okay. And looking yeah. at his product, so now again it used to be free. Now it's a commercial product. Twelve dollars for a single license. A uh, five user license is fifty bucks, and a site license one hundred fifty dollars. Yeah. So anybody that uses mail mail app, multiple email accounts, get it. Yep. Yep. Cool. Uh, all right. So, and that's probably enough about mail. I'm sure we could go on and we will with, with future questions, but now for now, I could roll the dice here. Oh, we already rolled the dice. It worked. You're going to roll. Well, them I again? want to roll them again. Well, I think you, I think you may have had this queued up though. Well, it's another audio. Question. Uh, no, I don't have another. Well, I, I have one more audio thing queued up, but, but we're going to do Charles first. Cause this is actually pretty interesting and it's a good solution. Okay. Uh, Charles writes, uh, Pre OS 10 Lion, I have not had any problem doing regular backups on my Time Machine. I use Time Machine Editor to give me the backup schedule that I want. This means that Time Machine is turned off in its preference pane and Time Machine Editor is turned on. Then comes Lion and now the Time Capsule no longer functions as it did under Snow Leopard. I see the Time Capsule wheel or the Time Machine wheel constantly rotating. Uh, when I check its progress, the message is preparing backup. I've read that a backup under Lion might take especially long before it takes place. And then after that, backups will continue as normal. Well, my time machine wheel kept rotating for 24 hours with the same preparing backup message until I decided to shut it off, meaning I stopped the backup and turned time machine editor off as well. Apparently, many others I have read are experiencing the same problem. I have a mid 2009 MacBook Pro with plenty of power and RAM. So. Uh, there would, uh, and then, and then he actually followed up, uh, and he says, I've resolved my problem. I went into my home, uh, or actually my regular library, uh, folder preferences and deleted the com.apple.timemachine.plist file. 
After that, I told it to back up Time Machine, and it did after verification, and then it backed up my hard drive. So uh, his solution was to delete the com.apple.timemachine plist file. One thing uh, that that is worth noting is check your console logs when this is happening, because Time Machine is pretty good at at least putting something out here. It was not, it's not uh, exactly... Uh, what uh, it might not be exactly what you want to see. It might not be verbose enough, but I I find that the logs often point the right direction. Your solution though, uh, Charles might have been, you know what we came to in, in the end, uh, deleting that P list file. It's much better than having to reset the entire backup, which is actually kind of the next thing that I would think of if that didn't work. So hey, yeah. what, do you have any thoughts on that, John? I, I had a problem too, though. It seemed to have gone away, but it kept saying, so, so after I upgraded the lion, so in addition to it doing a new uh, spotlight backup, uh, yeah. know, so, uh, uh, a re-index, the, yeah. that took a while. But then I noticed that several subsequent time machine backups would take a very long time. And like you suggested, Dave, I look on the console and it would say, waiting for index to be ready, parenthesis 100, close paren. I'm like, what index? What? What do you? Uh, all I can imagine is it was somehow restructuring Something in the time machine backup, and this this is the message. I I don't know what that message means to to you. What restructuring? Say that again. No, no, no. Re-indexing. Specific message. No, I'm sorry. Waiting for index to be ready was the message that came from backup D, and it would continually say that. So I would see the time machine wheel spinning and spinning, and this was the message in the console: waiting for index to be ready. Waiting for index to be ready. Waiting, and I'm like, what index? Yeah, what that's why index? I'm saying it was rebuilding some. Uh, I don't know the sparse. Uh, I I don't know what that message means. If huh. anybody does, let us know. But but no, it eventually went away. But for the first couple of time machine backups after, and I still am on the same drive. I I didn't start from scratch, and I can still see my old uh, backups that, that were done under Snow Leopard. So, huh. So I, I and, and I've seen others have that problem. For me, it went away. Now, now they happen very quickly. And, and I'm using, you know, likewise, I'm using Time Machine Editor. I have it set for every four hours. And uh, that works for me when I'm doing a wireless backup. So, yeah. Yeah. Cool. All right, John, let's roll the dice again. Let's see if we can get uh, if we can get these this audio comment to play. Shall we? Surely. Hi, John and Dave. A quick question about Safari. Recently, I haven't been able to save bookmarks. If I click on the plus icon next to the address bar, um, choose my folder, it doesn't actually put the bookmark in there. The only way I can save bookmarks is to go to the bookmarks menu and physically drag the address bar down into the folder. And from there I have the bookmark. This is quite annoying as recently I've thought I've bookmarked a couple of sites and unfortunately I haven't. Um, currently I'm on version 5.0.5. I'm not on 5.1 because of the issues with one password, etc. Uh, any help is appreciated. Thanks very much. This way you can cut me off. And off you are cut, Craig. Uh, thanks for thanks for writing in, John. Do you want to uh, you want to start with this one? Mm, yes. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm going to make two comments here because I think the problem lies somewhere here, Dave. So one thing you may be asking yourself: Where oh, where? There's a lot of things a- I'm asking myself at this very moment in time, but that this might be one of them. <laughs> Do any of them have to do with me? No, 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 no. <laughs> or Pete? No, no, I'm good. It's all just me. Okay. <laughs> well, it's always good to to 
look reflect. in uh, to reflect yes right. to, to, to reach into yourself and, and uh, okay enough so you may be asking yourself wh- where does safari store bookmarks that wasn't one of the questions, but, but, but go ahead. Yeah, I'll, I'll ask that. Well, now. this is what I'm going to suggest is that one, one thing is there may be a problem with this bookmarks file and the, and the place that Safari stores them is in your home directory or the tilde, you know, uh, we use the tilde as shorthand library Safari. And this is kind of weird, but, uh, but I found it bookmarks.plist. That's a way of storing it, but that's where bookmarks are stored. Yep. So I don't know if there's a problem with that file. Well, or it's corrupted he's, or whatever. he's able to save bookmarks if he drags them in, you know, if he opens up bookmarks and then drags them in. Right. Yeah. So the other place that I found where this data is, and this is where I think me, this may be where the problem is, is that in addition to that bookmarks.plist file, there's another place that this data appears, Dave, and that is in your home folder, library, caches, metadata, Safari, and then within that folder are two other folders, bookmarks and history. So I'm wondering if one of those caches is uh, is kind of whacked. That could be. Yeah. Um, it was funny because the, the data in there was pretty up to date. So, so, so if the cache got corrupted, I, I could see how that may, uh, or, or the permissions on, on either one of those. Um, so uh, those are my thoughts, but I, I just dug in a bit and I just wanted to offer where uh, I think those are the only two places your bookmark data is going to be stored. So yeah, I, w- I wonder, you know, if you if you do the uh, if in, in Safari, you go to bookmarks and choose add bookmark, uh, you'll get a little drop down that says add this page to. And if you have a lot of folders in your bookmarks, which uh, I do because I imported bookmarks from, you know, back when folders were the only way to organize things. uh you can choose where that bookmark is going to go, but it's possible in Craig's case that it's putting it somewhere, but it's just not putting it into the folder he thinks it's going into. So, and I realize this might be obvious, but it's also worth just trying and, and see, you know, put it, put it into another folder to hit that drop down and change it to something else and then see if that's going to work um, or, or choose bookmarks bar and see if it puts it in the bookmarks bar. Cause that, that might, that might be all that it takes, or it could be a, like you said, a corrupt uh, cache file might, might also be the answer here. Anything else, John, before we move on to a little bit of cool stuff found, we've got two things today we do? to mention. We do. Only two. Well, we could, <laughs> we could stay here all day, but we're only going to do two. Rochelle writes, uh, I wanted to share with your readers and listeners, there are listeners here, Rochelle. Uh, it's a mistake I make all the time though. Uh, I wanted to share a great solution I found to continue to have searchable, viewable, easy access to my Eudora email archives once I upgrade to Lion. I used Eudora for a decade until finally moving to another program, but I never moved my huge Eudora archive over. When I needed to look something up in an old email, I simply launched Eudora. But Lion means the end of that. I'm now using Eagle Filer. Uh, It's a great little filing program from the maker of SpamSiv. I was able to import all my Eudora folders and emails and subfolders into Eagle Filer and can continue to quickly and easily search them. Messages and mailboxes are displayed just as if I was in an email program and an individual message can even be opened by my in my emailer of choice if I need to forward it, email it, or I suppose file it in there. Everything is stored in standard inbox format and can be accessed and viewed from the finder used by other applications, etc., so even if uh, that, which is good news, because if even if Eagle Filer, you know, were to stop being developed, if it's in standard inbox format, that's readable by lots of things. 
Uh, she writes, Eagle Filer is not free at $40. It's also not cheap, but I couldn't find another way to continue to be able to easily read and search those archives. There is a 30 day trial and we'll of course put a link in the show notes. Uh, she says some uh, some foo was required to make all my old Eudora messages display properly in Eagle Filer, which the developer suggests. I first ran my Eudora mail folder through the free Eudora mailbox cleaner utility, which landed the cleaned up files in Apple Mail. From there, I had to go grab the import folder from home library mail mailboxes and drag that into Eagle Filer. Uh, warning, Eudora mailbox cleaner is power PC software, so you can't run that mm-hmm. under Lion. Uh, and she also says she uses Postbox as her email client of choice these days. So thanks, Rochelle. That's that's awesome. Uh, I you know, I I knew about Eagle Filer. In fact, I think I was even on the beta list for Eagle Filer years ago uh, because I was dealing with Michael Cy a lot from for because of spam sieve, which I used at the time. But uh, but that's that's good to know. That's I'm glad to hear that that works well for you, because, you've, you know, there's there's a lot of mail out there. You've abandoned Sam spam sieve. John, I haven't used SpamSiv in like four years. Ever since I moved to IMAP, I, well, I needed okay. server-side spam filter. I see. Yeah. Well, I'm, I'm, I'm carrying the torch for them then. You are. Yeah. yeah. I like it. It's uh, Oh, it's fine. It's just not server-side. I need something that's going to protect understand. me from spam on my mobile devices. Correct. Yeah. Very cool. All right. And then uh, in show 342, we talked about cleaning your screen before putting a, uh, a, a screen protector on it. This was on my, uh, we were talking about the, the anti-glare thing I put on my iPad, which is, was so awesome. That week I was up at the lake, John, I could sit out and I didn't do this all that often, but one afternoon I was sitting out right by the beach and uh, had my iPad out and was actually reading on it. And it was, I could do it. And Lisa brought hers out and tried to read. And it was totally, she couldn't see a thing. She's like, wait a minute. How do you, Oh, so now she wants a, an anti-glare. So that's the one that potential color. downside I see of the iPad is that without treatment, it's not the best device to read. You know, it's not the best device to read on, period. The anti the, the matte screen <laughs> makes it better. But I also that week and uh, was reading a book on a like a paperback book. And it had been a while since I'd read a paper book. And uh, that still, to me, is the best reading experience. Uh, the Kindle is certainly uh, better than reading on the iPad, and the iPad is doable, um, but it's it's heavy. You know, it's a big device, and uh, it's sort of bulky to hold up and, and read on. It, it's heavy. I, you know? I still have a lot, you know, and people laugh at me sometimes when I say this, Dave, but, you know, books are still inexpensive, lightweight, relatively, Yep. High resolution. Yep. Portable. Yep. And, and high resolution. Some people. Are, well, portable. No. Portable is debatable because if you oh, want to okay. bring. But you, you can probably put it in a back pocket or something. Right. Yeah, but if yeah, you want to bring with you. 10 books on a trip, you know, a Kindle or an iPad is totally. But a paperback. Win. But high resolution. When you think about it. Yeah. The potential resolution of a piece of paper is pretty darn good. Yep. Compared to a computer screen as far as DPI. And, and, you know, my big, I think the biggest problem I have, I realize we're on a tangent here, but that doesn't matter. Uh, <laughs> the biggest problem I have with reading on the iPad is the potential for distraction. Now, I, I say that I don't have mail make noise or oh, anything. Push inter- message inter- or, or, well, sometimes push or messages. Whatever. But even just the ability of knowing, oh, hey, I could check that email or, you know, fire up Twitter or look on the web for something. You know, the, the whole ADD thing, 
it doesn't exist when you have a book or even a Kindle. And yeah, I realize we'll probably not interrupt you unless or allow you for that easy interruption. (laughs) I mean, I have to put the book down and pick up something else. Whereas with the iPad, I can just like, Oh yeah, let me, you know, tool around and try this. And Oh yeah, look at that. It's been a half hour and I haven't read anything. So I I really enjoy the experience of actually reading a paperback book. I have to say, but, um, but you know, we're, we're dying. I don't know. My daughter, you know, my daughter bought a Kindle. She's 11, right? So she took some of her Christmas money or birthday money or whatever back in December. And she bought a Kindle for herself and she used it for about three or four months. And now she's back to paper books. She likes paper books better. Good for her. Well, Well, you know, she's, she's very wise. I don't, you know, I don't, I don't. Or no, she just does what 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 she wants to do. Just because it's a, just because it's electronic and has all these bells and whistles doesn't mean it's better. Right. 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 So yeah, it was that was that was interesting. You know, it's kind of sad so. because in town here now this does have a a, a relevance though it's a tangent. But uh, as you know, uh, uh, Borders yeah kind of went they're goodbye. all they're all done. And Fairfield had a Borders which was in Fairfield Center, which yeah. was one of the um, sort of a kind of anchor, anchor one, one of the anchors. I mean, it, it's yeah. not like the you know the Fairfield Center is now barren because of it, but it, it did uh, occupy. Yeah, it was what a lot of both the college kids. We have two colleges in town and uh, just just people in general. I would stop by there just just to hang out and look at books and sometimes sure. buy gifts. And, uh, you know, they had a little coffee shop and all that. So rumor has it. And I think people have already published articles about this is that. Um, so one of the local universities, Fairfield University, is reportedly going to open up a bookstore there. Oh, cool. And now we don't know who yet because they haven't said specifically but a major computer vendor oh. may also occupy some of that space now oh. not saying who it could be yeah well you or, know microsoft is opening a bunch of stores to compete with apple stores now so yeah, they've got like two now don't they yeah that's yeah. right but plans so it could, for it could be microsoft more. really but my yeah. understanding is also um yale which is you know uh, kind of close by yeah also has some form of an apple store not a full you know, right. full blown Apple store, but they have a, you know, I guess for, for the students there. So who knows if Apple may be right down the street for me, that, that, that would be swell. So anyway, pulling the train back on the tracks here, uh, <laughs> in show 342, we talked about this and Andrew, I talked about how you had to clean the screen before you put the cover or before you put the, 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 the shield on it. And uh, so Andrew had this to say. G'day, John. G'day, Dave. It's Andrew in San Francisco. I was listening to the show recorded 14 July. I think, uh, Dave, you were talking about applying films or screens to your iPad or iPhone or something like that. Uh, Mate, to be honest, don't bother about that. Just uh, go on eBay and search for 3M Scotch Bright B-R-I-T-E. Uh, microfiber cloths. A mate of mine put me onto them about a year ago. You buy them in bulk there. It's like 20 bucks for 20 cloths, which are each about the size of an iPad screen. And you will never have such a clean iPad or iPhone or camera lens or glass cell or even your normal glasses uh, clean. I keep one on my bedside table, in the car, on the coffee table, at my desk, in my bag, at work, everywhere. I've got them sprinkled throughout the house and work, and they're absolutely fantastic and get your uh, screens cleaner than anything else I've ever seen before. So there you go, eBay, Scotch-Brite microfiber cloths from 3M. Cut me off. Bye. All right, bye. Uh, Actually, I did that search and found a better search on eBay was 3M laptop microfiber cloths. Uh, and that did pull up the things and man, these things are awesome. Pete, I've got, I bought a ton of them. I'll, I'll, I'll oh, give you one before perfect. you leave. They're, uh, they're, they, he's right. They're fantastic. Um, 
but uh yeah so there you go that's uh that's the um that's the answer there uh good stuff uh you know the answer the answer the, uh there, there was also and i'm trying to pull this up oh man there was a there's a screen cleaner thing that i have from the cd doctor folks maybe it's the screen doctor um it's it's a little kit to clean the screen and I can't think of the name of it, but, um, dang it. Well, I, I wanted to mention it because it's uh it's good too. I'll, I'll have it for the next show, but, uh, but it's a, it comes I with will a, too. I got a cloth a that I think we thing. reviewed. It's uh yeah, I got a cloth that, that, that works very nicely on the, uh, the iPhone. Okay. And my computer and it's downstairs. So I don't have it in front of me, but all um, right. All right, so we'll, we'll cue those up because this cloth, I don't know what, it has some magic chemical on it that just makes it really good for cleaning off your iPhone or your uh, computer screen. Yeah, I'm going to find it. I, I found it already. It's from Digital Innovations, the DVD doctor people, and it is uh, Screen DRX. It is awesome, this stuff. Um, it, uh, it, it's, a, it's a microfiber cloth, a really thick micro, microfiber cloth, but it's got this, this, uh, this uh, uh, chemical that you, it's, you know, it's a cleanser. That you spray, but it's really, you know, oh. safe to use on all this stuff. It's awesome. I, 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 I love this. I, too. I found it, Dave. Go. So, I found it because we had uh, uh, our own uh, 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 Vern. Yes, Vern reviewed it a little while ago. Actually, uh, earlier this year, it's the uh, Toddy Smart Cloth. I received one. Okay, so hey, uh, hang on, slow, slow down, John, because we're talking about one thing, and then we're going to talk about another, and 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 now we're going to confuse people. So this screen, I don't want to confuse people, right? The screen doctor thing, ten bucks from Digital Innovations. Uh, that too will get. I I use it to clean my plasma screen at home, uh, all the iMacs and everything. It everything is beautiful. So that's the that's the screen doctor from Digital Innovations for ten bucks. All right, now go. All right. Well, this is a cleaning cloth. Okay. And I remember receiving one of these, I think, in the mail or either one of the events I went to. Uh, but uh, Vern reviewed it, and, and he seemed to really like it. And it's uh, called a Toddy Smart Cloth. All right. Cool. How much? Now, it doesn't have a brain or anything, but but it has some sort of... Uh, <laughs> I, I don't think it does. I mean, it has, has not come to life, but it's a, it's a, it's a, a nice cloth. Uh, I don't know if it uses microfibers or whatever. I'll, well, I'll link to the review. Okay, cool. But he seemed to really like it. And I just know whenever my, my iPhone gets filthy and I, I pull this out and I wipe it off, it... And, and even my computer screen, it seems to do a really nice job. So huh. cool. And you can get them with uh, different patterns on them. Okay. All right. You're looking at the review too. Yeah. So, uh, ten, 10 bucks from uh, toddygear.com. So it is. Yeah. So it says micro. So it has the magical microfiber. That's, Maybe that's, that's the, uh, the secret here. That seems to be the uh, secret there. All right. Uh, we talked about how to email us. You can call us at 206-666-GEEK, which John is... Four, three, three, five. And you already know how That's to email us. Is. That's right. Feedback at MacGeekGab.com or premium. No, 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 no. Oh, yes. <laughs> Thanks. Or premium at MacGeekGab.com. We're only supposed to say three. Oh, I see. Uh, All right. Well, MacGeekGab say- is the address to which you would Skype. And, of course, you can visit MacGeekGab.com for the show notes and uh, a link to, to uh, subscribe to the premium feed and all of that good stuff. Uh, Twitter, yeah, John F. Braun, Dave Hamilton, Pilot Pete, Mac Observer, Mac Ecab, all at twitter.com. Uh, Facebook, hey, Facebook, facebook.com slash you 
guest it, Mackie Cap. That's right. We'd like to thank Michael Johnston from the We Have Communicators podcast for converting this and all of our episodes to AAC. Cashfly, of course, for providing all the bandwidth, cashfly.com. The podcast marketplace includes the A2 desktop speakers from Audio Engine, Barebones 10 from Barebones Software, or sorry, BB Edit 10 from Barebones Software, Disc Label from Smile, uh, and then Gazelle.com and also Drobo. So uh, that's all through the Backbeat Media Podcast Network. And folks, that, uh, that takes care of us for a week. Are we back on Thursday? I think we might be, John. I think we are. I think we're back on Thursday with another premium show. I might be wrong about that, but I don't think we are. I don't think I'm wrong. I think we are back. We are. Awesome. I looked at my calendar. You're never wrong, Dave. <laughs> Just sometimes mistaken. That's right. <laughs> sometimes the universe doesn't line up with my way of thinking. Between now and Thursday, have fun. And, of course, don't get caught. Well, that was interesting. I'm not sure why it cut out. Bye!